When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with Nick. How you doing, brother? I'm doing okay. I'm sure no one is shocked that I'm here with Nick. I, You know, I think for a little while we had them on their toes. They're riveted to see who your next host was going to be. Speaking of that, what percentage are you? How are you feeling? Uh, well, I'd say I'm like an 87, 88. I, I was getting better, and then I started this godforsaken juicing thing, which is uh, not something I'd recommend, uh, it's, uh, it's taking a different kind of toll on me. I, I get extremely tired midday. So I'll get home from work at like three 30. I'll sit down on the couch and within half an hour, I'm almost falling asleep. If I get up and I do stuff, I'm fine, but it's taxing. Really? So how long do you plan on juicing? I am drinking three 12 ounce jars of juice a day and then uh, water with lemon the rest of the day or water with whatever kind of citrus I can find. We're initially set out to do seven days. And I think that's what we're going to do. Uh, I don't want to. I, I told Heather today, on, I told her, I was like, this is hard. She's like, I know. And I was like, no, I was like, I think this is hard. No diet's ever been hard for me to follow. This sucks and I hate it. And I regret saying I was doing it for seven days. And she's like, wow. Well, how many days are you through? Two. Today's day two. <laughs> well, well, hang in there. I in no way, shape or form would ever pretend to do something like that. I'm dieting it to me is just counting calories and hoping I eat less, but I, uh, I give you cool points for being able to even make it two days. Well, thank you. And you know, the whole premise of us trying to do this was to kind of reset our bodies. Um, not that I'm looking to lose a ton of weight real quick. I could no carb for that, but I just, I've, I've been off the wagon so long. I've been eating so much that like the amount that I can eat in a sitting before I feel full is insane. So I figured we would do this, let our stomachs kind of shrink back down, detox the garbage out of our systems and start over once we're finished. I just didn't anticipate it being this difficult. We come from a family who likes to eat. Yes, we do. We do. Uh, There is very rarely leftovers that was always tossed back on our plates. So I absolutely understand because I was in the same family. Yeah, it's uh, I honestly think I have an addiction to food at this point because Heather and I were talking. She's like, so do you even feel hungry? And I was like, I feel really hungry when I think about food. I was like, when I when I'm bored, that's all I want to do is eat. Granted, I'm I'm cooking, so I smell things. Like today was taco day. Oh my god, that was terrible. <laughs> I really think I'm starting to have an addiction to it. It's all I do is think about it, and it's been rough. And you're, I do like to eat. All I've been doing the last two, the last forty eight hours, I've been doing nothing but planning my cheat day. <laughs> <laughs> You don't have like a note, a notebook or a graph paper or anything like that to prep for that day, do you? Uh, I have. Well, yeah, I got a. I have a bunch of notebooks, but um, no, <laughs> nothing, nothing quite like that. I just, I'm just hungry, man. Well, I understand that. And hey, guess what? On the bright side, we get to make it worse because today we're talking about GMOs, which is I'm so, food. I'm so excited. <laughs> now I am. I just, I'm very excited. Well, this is one of those topics that. 
I like talking about because there's so many factions of people who have different thought patterns when it comes to GMOs. First of all, some use the term GMO as an all-encompassing topic where it is just genetically modified organisms. Mm -hmm. This is not putting chemicals on your plants. This is not, you know, anything of, of this kind of manipulation. This is gene editing. This is what nature generally does when we choose to move a plant or change its environment a little bit. There's so there's such a strong feeling about a lot of things that come with G, with the term GMO. I think it's always worth a conversation. I agree. And I think there is a strong feeling, but I think that the strong feeling stems from other places. You're right. It just stands for genetically modified organisms. So when it comes to GMOs, generally speaking, most things are modified to make them better, to make them hardier, to make them more resistant to bacteria or pests or whatever is plaguing that, let's say, crop or animal. Farmer would want it to last. Science wants it to last. Commercial agriculture is dependent on GMOs. And so that's all it's really for. When they and a lot of you see this a lot. You'll see a picture online of like this massive chicken. There'll be like two or three different chickens from different time, like times. Then there'll be this huge chicken and they blame it on GMOs. Well, really what it is, is three different species of chickens. And the most recent one, the biggest one is a species that didn't exist in that other time frame. It's not a GMO. It's just a crossbreed. I mean, I, and I, I can, I can understand why people are apprehensive. I've raised meat birds. It is a unsettling thing to watch these birds are they grow so fast and they eat so much that by the time they're ready to be slaughtered, they haven't even grown feathers on their entire body. Like and they don't get up. They hardly walk And Mine were fairly active, meaning that they didn't lay in one spot all the time. I had one chicken that would sit directly between the food and water dish and he would lean over and eat and he'd lean over and drink and he never got up. He was delicious by the way. <laughs> um, well, and some of that is because, as there's more and more people, and as we use more and more chickens or meat products, there's a requirement to produce them you know, faster and get them to market faster. And so there's two different ways of doing it. One of them is continuously breeding chickens and taking the largest one and letting that one continue the breed, mm -hmm. which takes generation after generation after generation. Or hormones, because I think when you talk about when we get away from plants and get into animals, we're then talking more about steroids and hormones and things of that nature, which bioaccumulation can can trickle down in, into humans. When it comes to plants, it's gene editing. For an example, corn is a good or soybeans is probably the best one. One of the one of the actions they take with soybeans is they replace a gene with mm -hmm. a petunia gene. And what that petunia gene does is it makes it so that animals do not see the soybean as a food. They see it uh -huh. as a flower. I don't know exactly the, the biology of how that works, but what it does is now the pest comes in, looks around and mm -hmm. says no food. So it doesn't get eaten. It doesn't get eaten. It makes it to harvest and we get it. Now, before I go too far, anything that is modified in any way should have proper testing. It should have of proper course. regulation because that's the other thing is that it seems like people want to be on for or against, but it's okay to be a little bit of both. I do believe you monitor and you test and you make sure that everything is safe before it becomes a mainstay in a human diet. Mm -hmm. But that's what I like about the gene editing in, com in comparison to how we raise our animals. 
is unique. We can take a, a small piece that is a benefit from one plant, give it to another. That's why so many different species of plants can grow in different places now. Well, it's also, but it's also why so many different species exist. So people don't seem to understand that naturally there isn't 5,000 species of apples. They've crossbred and they've gene edited countless times. And wheat's another great example. You know, the wheat that we eat wasn't the wheat they ate thousands of years ago. Throughout the decades and in some case centuries, people have looked at one plant and said, wow, this is really good. And you look at its cousin. This is really great, too. I wonder if we could put those together and make one better plant. And they would do that. And that would become the new standard. They did it with corn. They've done it with wheat. They did it with chickens. I mean, anything that is bred, planted, reared or raised for food is going to be altered to get the best possible um, result. Now, does that make it always good? No, I'm sure there's been some hiccups along the way. They are tested. and. I'm not knowledgeable enough on the information to speak to the accumulation slowly of hormones. And there's a, there's a big movement online that believes that GMOs are the reason why people are overweight. And I, I feverly disagree. I do not believe it's the reason people are overweight. I, I honestly believe it's, it's a problem with our culture. We live in a supersized world and everything is three to four portions more than what you need. Nothing is really good. It's always, we've had these conversations. Everything that you buy at any store is going to be, you know, wrapped in carbs and sugar and plastic. And it's meant to be kept on a shelf because Lord knows this country cannot go hungry. Got to be food <laughs> everywhere. But it's not the food we need to eat. And so I, I GMOs get a bad rap, man. Well, and it's, you know, there's a lot of reasons why. And, and one of these days we're going to have to have an episode of just about human health. And we'll have to talk about some of these things. But when you hunt and gather, you have to move to do it. And yeah. when we have, when we can run through the drive-through and pick up 2,800 calories and drive back to the house and eat it on the couch, you're not exactly hunting and gathering, but we're, yeah. what we're accumulating five times the calories we would have if we were hunting and gathering. It's cute that you think it makes it to the couch. <laughs> um, most circumstances it doesn't make it out of the driveway. No, you're right. And I hear that term a lot, hunter and gatherer. And we are, we're technically a hunter and gathering species. The things that people don't comprehend about that when they say that is when you say a hunter and gatherer, gathering does not take nearly the amount of time as hunting does, but hunting has a bigger yield. So as a species, if we had to hunt and gather our food, you spend a few days tracking animal, you, you shoot a deer, you have 150 pounds of meat to go towards your house or your community, whatever. And then gathering, meaning like nuts, berries, anything small that grows in nature that you collect, that is a little bit at a time. So you kind of eat as you go. It's, I only say all this because that's kind of the way that the human body is designed. We're not meant to eat the portions that we're given or that we choose to purchase. I mean, look at me. I literally just said I was addicted to food and I am. And I'm not addicted to small bits. I'm addicted to the fry lover size XL at rallies. Like I'm addicted to the stuff that's terrible for me and it sounds wonderful. Yeah. And it is, it is a, it's, it's a habit that has to be broke. That's one of the reasons why doing the research I did for the book that I am still fighting to consistently eat lower on the food chain. This we're a family of five here that is learning sustainability as I learn it. And it is challenging to continuously eat lower on the food chain. We came from a meat and potato family, like we've said in the past. My family mm -hmm. grew up as a meat and potato family. Now, reducing my, my meat portions for everybody, it really causes confusion in the household, where some reduction of starches and, and a large increase of greens definitely in, in the United States kind of confuses everybody. They no longer get the value they thought they had, but... 
it is how we should be eating. Well, it's how we should be eating, but also a lot of people don't know how to cook like that. And I, it just sounds terrible. Meat potatoes are easy to make. It's super simple to slap on a steak and throw a potato in the oven. There's very few things that are simpler than that. In fact, when you say meat and potatoes, I almost predominantly think of beef. Now, obviously, that's not the only meat we have to choose from, but that's kind of what we had five days a week when I was a kid, maybe four days a week, depending on whether or not you know we got chicken. But it's something that is ingrained in our culture that needs to change. And unfortunately for a lot of us, we learn about this stuff way too late in life. I mean, not to say that changes can't be made to a point where when we learn about it and we start to make changes things become inherently difficult to where it almost makes you feel defeated. Like every time I've ever tried a diet that it goes against everything that I think or feel or want, it's, it's hard. It makes you feel like what's the point of even trying when it comes to, and it's funny because we're having this conversation that feels very off topic, but it is the reason why we have GMOs because we consume the way we do. And because we waste 40% of everything we make or grow, it forces us to find ways to grow things faster. It forces us to find ways to produce larger livestock, which all of these things lead to larger greenhouse emissions. So yeah. it is this, this old ingrained idea that is causing the need for GMOs. It's causing the need for hormones and all these other things. Because at this point, when it comes to agriculture, beef is a primary emitter for greenhouse gases by far as we we know the number two emitter as an industry is agriculture and here we are trying to put throw in preservatives and all these things trying to make whatever we can last the longest because we waste so much of it well something a lot of people don't actually know about beef and if they do know good for them but so beef in general is aged before it ever hits the shelves not overly long but it does sit for a period of time before it gets sold but also there's a lot of additives they put in your beef to change the color because grain-fed beef doesn't have the same color as grass-fed beef. They add dyes and different things to change the color of it to make it more appealing. Now, I don't think there's any negative adverse effects to your body for that, but that is something a little disheartening to learn. It's not something that really changed my opinion on how I eat beef. And there are so many other different things as far as livestock that, that are changed. And like I, we talked about the meat birds, that, you know, that's just a crossbreed. All they did was they crossbreed bred two different birds and it turned into this chicken zilla right well and sometimes it turns out good i mean there's no way we want to eat maize but corn corn on the other hand is full of something we can actually eat you, you know, <laughs> well not that it has a huge amount of nutrients for us but the original corn you wouldn't even recognize it it would be useless to you it is not even edible but there are times you're right We've manipulated it to a point where it doesn't look like it's supposed to look like. I made a joke a long time ago. My son wanted one of the impossible Whoppers at Burger King. And I told him it tastes more like a burger than the burger. That's true. It does. And, and it confused the heck out of him. And I told him, well, here's the deal for 20 years, they've been trying to make the regular burger cheaper. And then they came up with this other one that they needed to make taste like a burger. So one is purposely being degraded while the other one is purposely being improved. So the plant burger tastes more like a burger than the burger. It's uh, that's true. And I think that's very funny. 
personally, because they didn't say it's true. I'm not the biggest fan of Burger King, but the Impossible Whopper does taste almost more like a burger than the Whopper does. Well, in today's day and age, because of how society is wrapped up, we kind of need GMOs. This is what's feeding people. Until we change habits, until we stop eating and consuming and wasting like we've like we've always done, we kind of need this production this extra production we need we need the plants to survive away from pests so they can make it to us and gmos have a necessary evil now because we've created that necessary evil there are some negatives there are some negatives and you we giggled about this earlier because everybody uses the same example but bananas but bananas don't actually exist and i can never say the name of the newer species it's a cabbage or cabbage i can't pronounce it it sure. is what was the shorter, stubbier banana. And when fungus uh, killed the banana trees all th- throughout Latin America, they, someone came up with, well, we'll use its cousin. And now they're continuously working on making it look more like a banana. Sometimes you get short, stubbier ones. Sometimes you get long, skinnier ones. Sometimes you get what looks to be a banana. None of them are actually a banana. Bananas are extinct. Well, that's uh, true. And also... A lot of the fruit that people buy in the store, if you plant the seeds, it does not reproduce. A lot of it is you know, genetically modified to only be available to purchase because they don't want you to be able to grow it yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, you look at your, your fake bananas. If you break one in half, you see these little tiny brown slits that would be the seeds. There's no seeds in a banana I mean, mm-hmm. at all. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff about that that's – I mean – like I said, it's a double-edged sword. When you look at things that happened in the past, like the Great Potato Famine, or you look at when blight destroyed you know, tons and tons of acres of corn and stuff like that, it happens. And that's the reason that GMOs became so prominent is because we needed to protect our food source. And then as the country grew, so did the uh, fix. Well, and this is where I go from being scientifically optimistic to less supportive. When okay. it comes, because it they started with sterilizing seed. So that when you bought a product, ate it, and if you tried to plant it, it wouldn't grow. Mm -hmm. And then it went to seedless. I had to spend countless hours with individuals at the University of Michigan explaining that you can hate GMOs, but you cannot enjoy a seedless watermelon because nothing in, in nature grows twice if it has no seeds. People tend to forget that that's a GMO also. That is a problem because when you can have fungus go through a certain gene pool for like the bananas, for an example, but if anything happens, and I think Monsanto was purchased by Bayer, but they were the target most of the time. They would isolate a product down to where they actually owned the concept of strawberry, you know, where they, they would pick something. I think corn is pretty close where they owned corn. Well, if mm-hmm. something happens to that one strain and you can't regrow it from the existing stock, we're all done. Mm-hmm. Other than the seed banks, other than people growing legacy seed, that's it. That is all you're going to have. Yeah. Heir- heirloom or, or legacy crops are the ones that are people still grow that they have for generations. And it's not that those are bad. I mean, a lot of the food is delicious. It's you have to cook it a certain way, though. It's not nearly as versatile as the stuff that we've created to make our lives easier. This is one of those situations where convenience is starting to go the opposite way. You've already mentioned about how the cattle industry is driving, you know, all these emissions. That's terrible. And it's 
I mean, steak is good, but it's not that good. Well, steak can be good in smaller amounts too. I think we kind of watered down the enjoyment with a 16 ounce steak. So many times have I been upset with myself in the past at a restaurant because I paid a tremendous amount of money to be miserable. I, I bought a massive amount of food, jammed it all down my gullet and went, ow. You know, I you're right. I have found that the only time I do that is at a steakhouse. Don't get me wrong. I like eating a lot of food, but we usually go out to a restaurant. I pick a meal that I know is a good portion that I think tastes good. But you go into a steakhouse and you get your steak, your potato, your other side, you get usually get bread or something. And it was the first change that I made last year I, when it came to trying to eat different. We started going to a place called Lucky's. I would always get the biggest ribeyes, 22 ounces, and I would get, I would get, yeah, right? And then I'd get the steak fries, and I'd get soup with it, because, you know, what goes better with steak than soup? And and then, of course, I'd eat a loaf of bread, and then I'd, wa- I'd waddle out of there, like, barely able to breathe. And so now, when I go there, whether I'm dieting or not, I get the filet mignon, because it's the smallest, tender steak they have. It's a little more expensive, but you're paying for quality. It's a better cut. I get two different vegetable sides. I get the cream spinach and the uh, their Brussels sprouts, which are flash fried, and then top the bacon and Parmesan. Oh, they're fantastic. Oh, and, and a little balsamic glaze. I mean, they're wonderful. But and I don't eat the bread. If if I'm not on a diet, I'll have like crab cakes or something as a starter. But that meal is, it's, it's a good portion. I feel full. I don't feel lethargic. I don't feel like I've swallowed an entire cow. It's nice. People in our family will feel a disturbance in the force when I say this, but I've been starting to just get fish. I've started to really like fish at restaurants or even preferably at home now because we don't get to go out of restaurants as much anymore. Mm-hmm. I eat a lot more fish than I used to. And it started as it's the, le- it's the least negative meat. So I can still eat meat kind of thing. But I, I kind of bummed I've... I've not eaten this much fish in the past. I really enjoy it. Well, I'm glad you enjoy it. This goes, I'm honestly going to say that goes back to culture though. But when you look around throughout our upbringing, most of the places that serve fish only serve fish and chips. All you're getting is cod. It's the last five to 10 years. You're starting to see this explosion of different kinds of things, like choices you can eat. I personally love mahi-mahi. I love salmon. I really, really enjoy grouper. It's a really mild-bodied whitefish. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, there's tons of species. And then not only just fish, other kinds of seafood, scallops, shrimp, lobster, obviously. Lobster, though, I think it's kind of overrated. A little pricey for what you don't get, and everyone overcooks it. Well, and it's the whole time I was in Hawaii. I mean, when you're in Hawaii, surrounded by the ocean, mahi-mahi is everywhere, and it is delicious. I probably had that. Eight of the 10 dinners I was there, and I should have gotten it 10 out of 10. I love it. Blackened, seared hard with a little bit of horseradish. Happiness. (laughs) So there is a split when we talk about GMO, genetically modified, when there's a split between animals and plants. Okay. Plants, you can gene edit. Animals, they don't. We chemically induce. Neither of these are pesticides. Neither of these are how we treat them. That is a totally different thing. And that's not part of GMO, where a lot of people associate chemical treatments as part of GMO. And that's just not, it doesn't fit there. What fits there is the good stuff, which is we grow it bigger and we get to eat it because nothing else does. And it lasts longer so we can ship things like oranges can make it to Michigan now. And then there's the bad things like 
hey, we've changed it so much, we have to dye it so it looks like what it, what it should look like. Or we've changed it so much, it can't reproduce anymore. Those are the bad things. Well, no, you're right. And like, So you mentioned oranges. So oranges now have been changed so much. Not all oranges, but what they use for like orange juice and stuff at factories. That when they press the oranges, they have to add lime or calcium, limestone, into the juice. Because there's not enough natural nutrients in it any longer because of the way they grow it. If someone really wants to get away from GMOs, and you never fully get away from GMOs because I create GMOs. If this white screen wasn't behind me, there's a door that shows outside and my garden is out there. I collect my own seeds. I try to take from the best every time, hoping that I get a better crop next year. When I do that, I'm gene editing. I'm just doing it mm-hmm. way slower. So you never really get fully away from GMOs because I'm still doing it here. But if you want to get away from GMOs, you buy local. You start creating a regional food chain instead of a national food chain. Some of our food comes from the other side of the globe. Some of our food comes from places we have no right getting food from and having it still be okay. When we tra- That's one of the things I'm learning with my wife wanting to travel so much is when you travel, you eat what they're good at and what they have a lot of. When you go to Hawaii, you eat fish and pineapple and you drink Kona coffee because when you leave there, you're never going to get an example that's anywhere near that. When I went to Italy, you eat that darn pizza. (laughs) That's going to be the best pizza you ever had in your entire life. So when you travel, you experience better in different places. And we have our own better here in Michigan. That is, you know, different for here. Apples and cherries are a big thing. Grapes. There are certain things here that other places they don't grow as often. But I think we lose the wow. We lose that experience. I'm going to keep this brief. And I agree. You do lose that experience. In food, that is very, very common. A lot of places would rather stock a bunch of mediocre things and focus on a few really great things. And when you look at restaurants and look at, you know, local specialities, you know, my favorite beverage, especially like going into this time of year, is cider. You'll never find better cider than the stuff that's pressed in my backyard. It's fantastic. That orchard presses amazing apples that they grow themselves. It's wonderful. You couldn't, I mean, yeah, you could buy it and ship it to California, but it wouldn't be the same. Right. Wouldn't be as good. There's no tomato. I've never tasted tomato better than what came out of your garden. <laughs> They're delicious. Well, and I don't even I don't even eat tomatoes. We want to stay local. We want to keep the experience becomes better. And we don't need GMOs if we can find a way to close that circle, eat lower on the food chain, which I will tell you. I am a 250 pound guy trying to eat lower on a food chain can be a little challenging. Just a little fella. It takes, yeah, I'm the runt. It takes a little while before you can get it. And that's okay. Because we only have to get a little better. Each time, little steps matter. And as long as we're conscious of it, or we grow a few plants on the porch during the summer, You know, you get some green beans that way, or you get some peppers that way. Those are peppers that you didn't buy from the local store that came from another region. Mm -hmm. Almost all of them do. As long as we're mindful of it, we don't have to go grab the pitchforks and fire about the GMOs and get all angry. All we have to do is change our diets and eat local. You can still eat bad stuff. I got, we got a, we got donut places in town. There's plenty of places to eat things you're not necessarily supposed to. 
just don't get it shipped in from the other side of the planet. You're right. And that's, I couldn't agree more that that just kind of speaks to the culture of it. We, as a, as a society, we need to realize when we should kind of stick close to home and, and really enjoy the things we have and realize we don't need everything all the time. Now I just made three different juices, two of which have citrus fruit. Are they tasty? They, yeah, they're, they're good. They put orange juice in They're wonderful. Am I going to grow oranges in Michigan? Never. Well, I'm trying. In well, good luck with that. Yeah, I well, can't get I can't get the seeds to fully germinate, but I was trying to grow an orange tree in the house just because everybody thought it would be weird. And my wife thinks it's a real problem, but I keep telling her it'd be years before it's a real problem. <laughs> Sorry, hon. <laughs> These are the things I do. But, uh, well, I think we've scratched the surface of GMOs. So if anybody out there has an opinion, let us know, because... Here's the deal. The conversation is what matters. The reason why we're doing these shows is to talk, not just to each other, but to everybody and have everybody talk back. Because the only way we get more knowledge, the only way I learn, Nick learns, or even any of you learn, is if we're having that conversation. Well, that's all for this week. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, let us know. Send us a message on our Facebook page or group. Leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. These reviews, comments, those are how we get found in the search engines, which means the more you do it, the easier it is for others to find this podcast. As always, we appreciate you for listening. We appreciate your support. And remember, we only have to get a little better than we were yesterday. Little bit, little bit, well, it always results in big bit. Thanks again. I'm Mike. And I'm Nick. And we'll see you next week. If you have the desire to be sustainable but are unsure of what can go in the recycling bin or you're constantly forgetting the reusable grocery bags, check out Starting Sustainability, the podcast. Don't be frustrated or confused anymore. Starting Sustainability was created to help those beginning their sustainable journey. Each week, we give ideas on simple concepts you can easily incorporate into your current lifestyle. We also share stories of what works and what doesn't, so you don't have to waste your time and money. Check out Starting Sustainability, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.